And Jesus, thank you for coming to us so clearly, so radically, and letting us come to you. Thank you. And uh, we want to do better at that, so help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if you have your Bible, open up to Romans 12. We'll be there all morning. And, you know, you, ever, you got a friend group. You ever have a situation where you, somebody coins a phrase and it kind of sticks? It makes you laugh and whatever. It kind of sticks. So we had a phrase come together like that. Bruce and I were talking. It's been a few years now. He probably knows exactly how many years. Five or six years ago. And... We were talking about one of our church members who goes to the Rose Parade every single year. Every year, without fail. Has any, who here has been to the Rose Parade? Just, okay, so I've never been. Uh, uh, I've never been. But he's so into the Rose Parade that Bruce performed a wedding ceremony for him at the Rose Parade. <laughs> and what we, what we said was, well, it just goes to show you. Whatever you're into, that's what you're into. And so we'll catch people into stuff, and we'll say that phrase. It's kind of stuck, and, and we laugh. Here's some people who are into their stuff. You know, I don't know if you caught this little kid on the left. That's a kid. I love the mustache. Dressed like New York Giants football coach, head football coach, Bob McAdoo. <laughs> Complete with the menu of plays and everything. It's hilarious. Then you got the Brazilian soccer fans. Soccer fans have lost their mind. I think every single one of them, if you call yourself a soccer fan, you've probably lost your mind. This guy, he looks so intense and so into it. I mean, look at all the soccer balls and stuff. If it were possible, I think he'd morph into a green and gold Brazilian soccer ball. The Dallas Cowboy fans, I got Bruce one of those helmets for his birthday. <laughs> No, I didn't. But I think those people lost a bet, don't you? I mean, look at those get-ups, man. Like, they lost a bet. And the reason why I kind of know that's probably true, because they're at a Saints game. <laughs> Dressed like that. Then you got to love the Anaheim Ducks. That's right. That's right. First in California to win a cup. That's right, people. We love the Ducks. Um, and people immerse their... their, their they, they immerse themselves in their stuff, right? Maybe you do. If you ever dress up like that, please send me a picture. Um, but time, effort, energy, creativity, travel, money, and more time and money. They pour themselves into it. Here's some more intensely committed people. You got the Starbucks fan. I don't know how long it would take to do those nails. I've never painted my nails, so I don't know. But they're pretty into it. You got the Trump fan. I'm not sure what I think of Trump, but I don't think enough of them to do that. It's a little hard to see. Then the little kid, cute kid from the Subaru commercial, have you seen this? He's been to like every national park on the planet. Look at all the patches. That's where everywhere he's visited. He's into national parks. And this one is really hard for me to understand, cat lady. Maybe you're a cat person. I'm not. It's okay with me if you are, but I don't like it. You're feeding cats all the time. It's the cat food. And then it's the kitty litter. And in her case, lots of kitty litter. Like lots. Don't get it. Then Star Wars. That's a big crowd of Star Wars people flooding back at Anaheim Convention Center. They're all dressed up like Star Wars characters. They're super into it. But I really like these guys right here. They're dressed up like Kylo Ren. And it's like, you will dress up like Star Wars. You will go to Comic-Con. Look at them. They're like into it. 
And it just goes to show you whatever you're into, that's what you're into. This guy, though, <laughs> this guy is so into a, a few different things, but honestly, I think what he's most into is the Tour de France. He's at the Tour de France, and he is into America, USA, USA, that's cool. He's into cattle. Well, I know that. <laughs> but he's into cattle, he's into football, and he's obviously into the University of Texas, but then he's into cycling. What's amazing to me, the kid is sprinting in cycling shoes, and that's no small task. But it just goes to show you, whatever you're into, that's what you're into. And we're at church, and the majority of us are Christian people. And I don't think it would be hard for us to agree that as Christian people, more than anything, we need to be into Jesus Christ. And it should be evident. Why would anybody dress like this or do these things? There's two reasons that I can think of. Number one, they want people to notice. And number two, they want to bring people along. And when we see what's going on in the Bible, it calls for us to be into Christ to such a degree that people notice and that we give ourselves permission to bring them along. And, you know, at Christmas I got some wireless headphones and they came with a big instruction book and a quick start guide. I really like the quick start guide because I've used headphones before. I just hadn't used these before. So I went to the quick start guide and I can use my headphones. If you're ever looking for a quick start guide for your Christianity, or if somebody ever asks you, hey, what do Christians do? What, sh what, what should Christians be up to? I think Romans 12 is a great quick start guide. It just kind of summarizes what Christianity in action looks like. And it starts out with a, a commitment that's vitally important to our lives. And that's the commitment to love Jesus Christ. And to love him like he said in the great commandment, to love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. You gotta love him above all else. It's not like we're adding Christ to our life and he's not an additive. This call here is to make him our life. Listen to what he says here in verse one. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What this, what, what this sacrifice of your body means is that Jesus Christ is supposed to be your life. I've heard different things preached about what that possibly could be, but wherever you are, your body is. It's your life. It's your living. It's your lifestyle. You're committing all of that. You're sacrificing all of that to Christ. You're trading your will for his. You're trading your intentions for his. You're not just adding him, you're making him, his, him your life. And you're keeping what might compete with Christ out of your life. Do not be conformed to this world. The world is simply the, the philosophies and the values of the world that are anti-God, that are counter-God. It has to do with sin. It's how, how we think, how we talk, and the things we do. We're not to be conformed to the way the world would have you live. We're to be conformed to the way Christ lives. We're to love what he loves and hate what he hates. We're going to keep what might compete with his life being our life 
out. And we're going to conform to his image. We're going to immerse ourselves so much in him that we're going to become like him. The whatever you're into, that's what you're into phrase is something Bruce and I share and a few other people on staff every now and then. It's because we're together and we can't help it. We become like each other, hopefully mostly in good ways. That's a fun way. When we're with Christ, we become like him. And we got to be with him in his word. It's going to renew our minds in our word, in his word. We're going to hear from him about how to not be conformed, but how to be transformed into his image. We hear from him in his word. We, we talk to him in prayer. And we figure life out. We get discernment about what his will is and how to be conformed to him, how to make him our life right in his word. Why would you want to do this? Why, why, why does Paul have the audacity to ask you for your life? It's pretty severe. It's pretty intense. You know, one of the worst things at Christmas time is to receive a, a card or worse, a gift or even worse, an extravagant gift from somebody you didn't get anything for, right? And that's like just the worst. And then like what you want to do immediately. And if you're sitting by your, by your wife, like I do when that happens, she goes, we got to go get them something. You want to love back. Somebody poured out love on you. You want to love back. Jesus Christ poured out so costly a gift, so loving a gift, so extravagant a gift, the magnitude of which is immeasurable. And it should make us want to love him back. In our family, we have this phrase. It's kind of cute. I teach, I, I teach the kids, and, and, and I, they mock me for it a little bit because it is mock-worthy. Like, it totally is. Uh, but when you understand, and I know they understand what's really behind it, it makes a difference in your life, and that is this. You deserve hell. Do you know, as Christian people, we swim in a sea of grace, that we, grace, the gifts of God that we don't deserve. And sometimes I even wonder in my life, I know it can't happen, it would violate God's character, he'll never do that, do it. It would violate the promises from his word. But I honestly think sometimes when I get far away from God that he would be just if he sent me to hell today. Like I deserve it. But he doesn't. All he does is pour out his love and grace. That's all he does. All he does is want me with him. His love is so extravagant. It forgave my sin. It forgives your sin. It changes your life. You know, I got saved a long time ago. My life's so radically different. I'll tell my wife sometimes, could you imagine if I wasn't a Christian, how evil I'd be? You know, kind of when I'm in the flesh, yelling at cars in the traffic, whining about people in the middle of the aisle at Costco, whatever it might be. Yeah, you've done it too, I know. Okay, so. And I just, I imagine what I would be like if my flesh were unleashed, if I didn't know Christ and it's awful and it's bad. God has changed me. And then he's promised us a home in heaven that lasts forever and there's nothing you or anything or anybody else can do to take it away. That's extravagant love. 
And it deserves our love in return. In 1 John 3.16, it says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. You devote your life to him because of the extent of his love for you. He can't love you any more than dying on the cross. Wherever you are right now today, whatever's going on in your life, whatever pain or loss or difficulty or joy you're experiencing, there's not more of Christ's love to know. There's not an absence or a lack of Christ's love. You have all of it in your faith in Jesus Christ. You have it all. It's not always easy to understand. It's not always easy to recognize, but that's the truth of the gospel. And because that's true, we are being called by Paul, not in an optional way, not in a you-can-think-about-it way, but in a this-is-your-loving-obligation. Sell out to Christ. Be into Christ. Be into him more than any other thing, any other person, any other activity. Love Jesus Christ. And in loving him, we're going to love what he loves. And so the next two sections of this passage help us understand a little bit about that. Read with me in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So, the, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. The second commitment is love your church. Dive in. Saturate yourself in the church. Be radically committed to the institution that God set up and ordained on this earth to be his representation to this world. The connection to your church, it's, it, it, it's, not, it's not transactional. It's not s- substance. It's, there's a dynamic. There's a life-giving connection at church. There's an interde- interdependence that we have as his children in the body of Christ. We're not to be loosely committed or separated. That's why Paul calls it a body. That illustration that picture of what your participation and my participation in church is to be isn't an accident. The parts of your body are interdependent on one another. They're not loosely connected. They're not casually connected. They're dynamically connected. They're fixed and they're dependent on one another and that's what church life is about. The church is unified and strong and working and growing as the corporate representation of Christ in this world, and that's why it's called the body of Christ. We love the church because he loved the church. Ephesians 5.25 tells us that God loved, that Jesus loved the church and gave himself for her. 
And so the church is not only a body, and it's not just Christ's body, it's a family. In a spiritual sense, we carry the same blood as Jesus Christ. As believers, we also carry his name. And we gather together as a family in a variety of settings, but for sure on weekend services and small groups. It's important first, you know, we got to show up. It's hard not to be troubled as a pastor, as somebody who pays attention to church and Christianity and culture. It's hard not to be troubled by kind of the casual approach that people take with church. It's not the Bible's approach. It's not Paul's approach. It's not Christ's approach. He died for the church. And we need each other. Paul says in Romans 1 that he wanted to desperately, wanted to get together with the Romans, make a trip to see them so that they can mutually encourage one another. Man, doesn't that go on here? Aren't you grateful that you show up to a church gathering and you not only have the opportunity to pour out to others, but because that's the mindset of this church in particular at Crosspoint, and I'm so grateful for it, you get poured into. And that's because people show up more determined to pour out than be poured into. Could you imagine? What if everybody showed up? What if 90% of the crowd showed up to be poured into? Hardly anyone's blessed. But if the majority, if not all, like we're being invited to here, if all of us show up using the gifts God gave us, however we might be positioned, and for some of us we preach, and for some of us we sing or play an instrument, and for some of us we serve in the nursery or serve at grief share, however you might be positioned, whatever God has for you, how great is it, how wondrous is it when we show up and invest ourselves in a loving way at church. Loving your church is to be your commitment, and here's a big reason why. You know, the church is the organizational, the corporate representation of Christ. What if there wasn't a church for the last, let's say, 1,500 years? Would people know we were here? And when I say we, I don't mean Crosspoint, I mean Christianity. If we were just a bunch of individuals walking around doing our own little Christian thing, would people know we are here? Would we be able to rally and do the things we do corporately, like serve at Ronald McDonald House, like send super blessed gifts out to the missions, uh, missionaries who sent us uh, thankful, thank you emails that will would just be so encouraging to you. So thank you for participating in that. They've relayed, please thank the church, please thank the church. So thank you for per participating in the Christmas gifts for the missionaries. Would we be persecuted if we lived our lives isolated from one another as a church? Would people think that Christianity was any kind of threat to their existence because they're counter to Christ? No. We come together as Christ's body in this way using the gifts God has for us, fitting in wherever we might fit in. And it's so important. And man, we deal with insecurity about service from time to time, actually often. And I get that. And I think where that might come from is kind of comparison. You go, okay, well, there's, there's Gain up there, and he went to Bible college, and he's been, you know, he's, he's been trained, and he's got a lot of experience. Well, I can never do, well, you're right, you can't. 
But there's a lot of things that go on here that I can't do, like serve in the nursery. None of you parents want me in there. I love Grief Share, but I'm not cut out for that. We're so grateful for that ministry. Long-term counseling with people who are suffering grief is, I can't do it. And I'm just so grateful that there's somebody that can. We have to show up. We have to love church. If we're going to be into Christ, we're going to sell out to him. we got to love what he loves. He loves the church. And number three, we got to love others. we got to love others. Listen to this passage, and as we read it, I want you to notice, we get down about halfway through it, you'll start noticing how love is contending with brokenness, with mess. And it's important to note that this chapter, and really the whole book, it's, it, it's first and foremost set within a church context. This isn't about loving outsiders. It is, because all these help that, but primarily it's within the church. Listen to this. Let love be genuine, abhor or hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty or arrogant or overconfident, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, uh, but overcome evil with good. I want you to pay particular attention to verse 18, because I think it has the biggest all-encompassing idea of all this stuff. It says, as much as possible, as much as you can, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Do you see the personal responsibility? We have a personal responsibility to come up, to come in and love people in spite of them. And why should we do it? Why? Because of how much Jesus loves the world. He loves people. John 3, 16, for God so loves the world. They, he loves people. He loves us broken, sinful, wounded, confused, foolish, conceited, self-centered, selfish. He loves us anyway. And Romans 12 comes in and tells us who follow him, who are part of his church, people are messed up. Don't seek revenge. Don't be overcome by evil. Don't be overconfident, don't be conceited, but love people. Love the unlovable. Shouldn't be too hard to do because I'm unlovable. I should be able to love the unlovable. And just, I love how the Bible anticipates our weakness and speaks right into it and over and over in this passage, that's what is going on. And if we're honest, 
we're not too allergic to loving the unlovable. Your baby or grandbaby has a smelly diaper spit up all over their face and they're throwing a major fit. What do you do? You coo, you smile. Oh, is it, you're going to be okay and you take care of everything, right? You're at Olive Garden and some baby across the room screams one time. You go, what's wrong with those parents? Why can't they control that kid? <laughs> what's the difference? Love. First John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. We love, each other, we love others because it's the great commandment. Loving others is just as important to God as loving God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the first and great commandment. And the second, second is equal to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's our greatest bridge of influence into somebody's life. You want to touch somebody with the gospel. You want to disciple and help people learn and grow in their faith. You're not going to be able to do it absent of love. You want to be a testimony to the world. You want to be a testimony in your workplace. You want to be a testimony at your school. You're not going to do it absent of love. Jesus said that in John 13. He said that Here's a new commandment I'm giving to you. Love one another. By this will all men know you are my disciples, by your love for one another. It's not by your knowledge. It's not by your ability to argue theology. The world knows us by our love. We practice that in earnest in church. We live that way as a habit because we have a Lord who loves. We stay committed to Christ and to his church and to loving others because we want people to notice and we want to bring them along. And with these three commitments in your life, you can picture it, just imagine it. Just What if you just did these three things and you did them wholeheartedly just these three things. Would people know Christ was in you? They would, right? They would know Christ is in you. And that's what I think Paul's getting at. That's what I think is a great way for us to think about moving forward in the new year. And so I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me and You might be here today, and every time I'm in a crowd, whether it's at church or a movie theater or a stadium, I wonder, who in the crowd knows Jesus Christ and who doesn't? And maybe you're in this crowd today, and you don't yet know Jesus Christ, and when I talk to you about forgiveness and God's love and eternity, it's not real to you, but you want it to be. The Bible tells us that making it real isn't super complicated it's as simple as putting your faith in Jesus Christ. It's as simple as saying, God, I can't forgive myself. I can't pay for my sins, but you can. I can't take me into heaven, but you can. And if that's something you're interested in today, the Bible also says that if you just simply call on God with, by faith, he will save you. So, if you don't know Jesus Christ today and you want to, I want to just invite you to pray this little prayer with me right where you're at. 
Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me so that I could be forgiven, so that I can have a home in heaven. I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. Come into my life today. Be my savior. Be my Lord. And then you might be a believer today and out of these three commitments, the Spirit of God impressed your heart and mind in a powerful way about a change you might need to make, an improvement, a, a correction. I just want to give you a second right now to tell God what you're going to do about that, what commitment you'll make in view of the truth of his word that you've heard today. And God, I just want to thank you so much that even though while we were still sinners, you died for us, right? In the middle of the deepest, darkest part of who we are, you died for us. Thank you. And we sure don't deserve anything good that you give us, let alone your salvation and your love. And you give it so freely, and we thank you for that. And we just want to commit our lives to you as as individuals and as the body at Crosspoint. We want to love your church the way you love it, and we definitely want to love people the way you love them. And we're weak. And we're foolish and confused. But you empower us, and you never give up on us. Thank you so much for that. And so help us, Lord. Help us in those weak points. Help us to be strong. Help us to show people Christ and to bring them along. And I want to invite you to just be a real part of the offering we take here. We give out a gratitude for the love you've poured out in us. We give out a mission because we want to make a difference in this community and around the world for you so that people's lives are changed for eternity. Thanks again for letting us even participate in that. What a blessing. Uh, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.